On this episode of SSI Executive Conversations, Brian Stegall of Shurik Solutions talks with Anthony Kim. Anthony Kim is a commercial executive previously holding roles at Genentech, Ignita, Novacure, and others. They discuss today's job market, Anthony's motivation in therapeutics, and past product launches that he was involved with. Hey, uh, we are excited today to uh, welcome Anthony Kim to the SSI Executive Conversations podcast. Uh, Anthony is a, a visionary commercial leader with seven years of strategy consulting and 18 years of industry experience covering 11 new product indication launches in oncology, hematology, and rare disease. His industry career be- began as a clinical oncology specialist at Genentech, where he helped to launch Tarceva, the first TKI approved uh, for the treatment of NSCLC. His role evolved to include multiple new indications for Perceptin and Rituxin as a product manager and divisional sales manager, respectively. Taking on a U.S. marketing lead role for the first time at Alexion, he helped lead the launch of Strenzic, a first-in-class therapy for the treatment of HPP, a rare inherited metabolic bone disorder. At Ignita, as the executive director of marketing, he led the development of the U.S. commercial launch for Entrectinib, which was approved for the treatment of solid tumors with a rare genetic fusion on the NTRK123 genes. In his first cross-functional leadership role at Novacure as the VP of Global Commercial Development, he led the commercial launch of Optune Lua, an FDA-approved medical device for the treatment of malignant pleural mesothelioma. In his recent role as SVP and head of commercial, uh, U.S. commercial operations at Relief Therapeutics, he built a new commercial team and distribution partnership for the launch of PKU Go-Like, an innovative medical food for patients living with PKU. Uh, Anthony received his uh, BA in government from Harvard University and his MBA in marketing from the Wharton School. Anthony, thank you so much for being here. We're looking forward to to getting some insight from you. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate the invitation and I look forward to our discussion this morning. Very, a lot of highly talented people. Um, You know, what advice for those people, your colleagues that are potentially looking, what advice would you give them? So just to, to start off, certainly, I, I, just like anybody else, I, I would recommend do everything you can, right? With the networking, the outreach, the emails, your personal contacts, um, do everything you can, of course, to broaden your network. And, and certainly recruiters can be huge, huge partners and allies during this time of, of searching for new roles. Um, but I'll share two thoughts that might be a little bit different and a little bit off the beaten track. Um, One is um, to definitely be patient and wait for the right role. Um, Some of us maybe can wait longer than others, but I think it's so important, Brian, to make sure that you're getting a role that you're really excited about. And right now it's tough. Uh, Let's be honest. There aren't that many roles to go around. And if you can wait, don't settle, don't sacrifice what you really truly aspire to in the next stage of your career, um, because honestly, if you're going into a role that's 60 to 70% of what you want, it's probably going to catch up to you at some point, right? Like most of us are not great actors. That lack of motivation, that lack of desire, that's going to show at some point. And the flip side of it is, would you really want to work for a company long-term that really bases its hiring model on getting people 
who are overqualified for the roles that they're in. So that would just be my first thought to share. And I think it's certainly something that's debatable depending on each person's situation, but ultimately wait for the right role. The second thing that I'll share, and this is just based on my own personal experiences recently, is put yourself out there a little bit. Make yourself a little vulnerable. And I know that typically, especially when you're trying to find some high-level executive role, that's the opposite of what the world tells you to do. You know, present yourself with poise, confidence, dignity, and, and just great perfection, right? But ultimately, you know, what I have found um, in recent events, in fact, I just attended an event yesterday that was a networking event with a great group called BioBreak. Um, it was a group that a colleague introduced me to recently. I've attended several of their events in Cambridge and Philadelphia. And as an example, on the way out, I introduced myself to a gentleman who was literally on his way to catch his train. I explained who I was. I talked about how I was in between roles. And, and he basically just said, look, ping me on LinkedIn, send me your CV, send me the email template you would like for me to share with people that I know when I find something interesting, because that's what we're here for. That's, that's why we're here to help each other out. And so the bottom line is, if you're going to put yourself out there, now is the time to do it. Make yourself a little vulnerable, be open and, and, and be transparent about the situation that you're in. Because again, if anyone's going to help you, even a perfect stranger that you meet in passing, I feel like now's the time because no one is surprised by the high number of people that are looking for roles right now. And there are so many talented colleagues, as you know, amazing leaders that are out there across all functions that are actively seeking something new, different and exciting. Yeah, I tell you, we run across, I mean, we're, we're, we're having conversations, obviously, lots of conversations, and, and, and it, it is eye-opening, the, the talent that is out there uh, for particular organizations. Now, you, you and I had talked about a, a Newsweek article that, that you shared, and uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. You know, um, you know what are some things you wanted to share from the, from the article? Um, I believe it was, um, you know, new, the new era of life sciences. And I, I want to make sure that, that we share that with people and get your insight on that. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for asking, Brian. So, yeah, it was published earlier this year in Newsweek. I believe the article was produced by Investment Reports. And I just thought there were some really compelling trends in the article that speak to the future potential of our industry that, you know, again, anyone that's listening will not be surprised by, um, but a few facts that I thought were really compelling. Um, first and foremost, that one out of every 10 Americans is living with a rare genetic disorder, of which there are about 8,000 or more that have been identified to date. And in 2020, $200 billion were invested in the US drug industry alone. And I believe that these numbers speak to the opportunity and the continued investment that companies will make to create markets and to bring new and exciting therapies to patients. Uh, and I remember one CEO was quoted as saying that in 2022, it was a record year for cell and gene therapy approvals. And then this year, 2023, we are projected to exceed that number of approvals by a magnitude of five. And so ultimately, I think in reading the article, it gave me a lot of optimism 
and excitement about the future. But obviously, as I mentioned earlier, the key is about being patient and waiting. 75% of all innovation in this industry is actually provided by biotech startups. And yet 90% of them will fail. It's another fact that I got from the article itself. And so when you put all of these together, what we're going through, the challenges that we're seeking as commercial leaders and as cross-functional leaders, they are no surprise to any of us, but we do have to be patient. We have to wait for the right role. And again, have faith and confidence in knowing that at some point it's going to turn, it's going to change. But, but the key obviously is yeah. being patient because no one knows exactly when that market shift is going to happen. Tell us a little bit about some of those experiences, uh, sort of uh, launch learnings, if you will. You know, some of the good, the bad, you know, some of those things you can share and, and maybe bring some insight to, to folks about that. One of the biggest launch learnings that, that I have gained is always, always, always be prepared and be flexible and adapt. Because as you know, Brian, as all of us know, no launch ever goes 100% as planned. And, you know, I, I know that companies want to see commercial leaders, medical leaders, whatever function you're from, exude an air of confidence. You know, when you're in interviews, like, well, tell me about what you did to contribute to the success of this launch. Right. And honestly, I think any of us behind the scenes can certainly acknowledge you are never fully responsible for the success of your launches and you were never fully responsible for any of the failures or setbacks of your launches. And ultimately, I think that any launch leader, any tenured launch leader probably can admit and acknowledge there, there's so much more that we learn from based on the challenges and the failures that we've seen as opposed to the successes. I mean, we learn from both, no doubt. But for me, being flexible and adapting is so critical because no matter how great or how elegant a launch plan is, no matter how detailed the spreadsheet is that you're looking at during those cross-functional launch meetings that go to row number 1,000, 1,200, it doesn't matter in the end. It only matters on your ability to execute, to work with others, and to align on the priorities of the team. You know, any closing thoughts for uh, the people that are listening? Sure. So I, I have two closing thoughts to share for today. And the first one is, you know, no matter what launch you're in, no matter what stage of the launch you're in, as much as possible, right? And, and maybe with a grain of salt, don't chase results. Focus on the behaviors. I've seen it at every company that I've worked for every day, every week. You know, you're, you're focused on how many patients did we get on therapy? How long did they stay on? You know, why did they come off? What can we do to get them back on therapy? And I'm not saying this is not what should be done. What I am saying is that the mentality, right, of a launch leader is to have confidence in the overall plan direction. Certainly evolve and adjust and adapt, just like I alluded to earlier, but don't let the numbers scare you off of your game plan because it was well thought out beforehand. It's going to hit some bumps along the road. It's going to hit some uncertainties and, and differences in the market, the way the market receives it. But ultimately, have confidence and know that if you focus on the right behaviors, the results will come.
And these are learnings that I've tried to adhere to my entire career because otherwise, frankly, you're going to give yourself an ulcer, you're going to be a mess, and then what's going to happen unwittingly is you're not going to exude this sense of confidence. You're just going to be known as the leader who basically is going to do whatever everyone tells them to do because the numbers aren't as good. And so they're going to do whatever they can and be reactionary. That is a really, really tough spot to be in. And it's very hard to get out of it. So I think setting the right tone as a commercial leader is so critical. Having that grounding and having that confidence. The other thing that I would share is just to all of my colleagues who are listening is to just continue to have hope and optimism about the future. You know, there's so many articles that come out and, and usually every, every year, every, every six months, there's a really prestigious publication like the New York Times that will publish an article about the high cost of drugs. And everybody will launch into it and then it starts to create this element of doubt about the future of the industry. Do you know how much it costs to bring a new drug to market. So from the investment article I shared earlier, it's $2.6 billion with the cost of attrition factored in. $2.5 billion to bring one product to the market. And so ultimately, with the drug industry investing the way that it is, I think it gives a lot of optimism. And I think what it shows the world that regardless of the negative press and publicity, that may come about, you know, the so-called greed of the pharmaceutical and big biotech industry. There is right. no one else in this world that can make those investments. When I think about my grandparents and I think about, you know, what would have happened if they'd been on some new targeted therapy like what you have today, I think their lives could have been longer and I think they would have been very different. And so no matter what the outside world says, and no matter where we're headed, because there's all this talk about the Inflation Reduction Act and the impact it's going to have on the industry, and I'm not going to say that it won't. All I'm saying is that ultimately we need to continue to stand firm in what we're doing. We need to stand firm in believing in what we're doing, because all of the companies that are out there are doing everything they can to ensure that patients are having the best possible access to therapy. So sometimes, like social media, you gotta you gotta just Put it out there, plug it out, plug your ears, and stay true to who you are. I've had the distinct pleasure and blessing, Brian, over my entire career to work with some of the most amazing, motivated, visionary, and altruistic people I have ever met in my lifetime. And I've learned so much from my roles. I've learned so much from my teammates, and also, most importantly, from the patients that we serve every day. So my, my closing thought is just for all of my colleagues and all of my friends to continue to stay the course. Um, and I look forward to continuing to work with as many of you as possible and to seeing what God has in store for me in the next stage of my career. Uh, amen. Thank, thank you so much for that. that. That is probably the best closing thought that I could possibly imagine. So uh, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, and um, Thank you so much for. I'm looking forward to our next conversation too, because obviously uh, this can definitely lead into a lot of opportunities, uh, particularly for you and, and you know where you're going to go. And again, we just can't uh, thank you enough for being on. Thank you, Brian, for the invitation. Uh, I enjoyed our conversation very much, and uh, I look forward to the next one. Thank you so much. 
Outstanding. Thanks so much. For the video recording of this podcast, along with additional resources, make sure to find us on the web at SureGSolutions.com and follow us on social media and LinkedIn at SureGSolutions.